0: Unique New York. Unique New York. How <laughs> now, bound cow? <laughs> you going to do some voice uh, warm ups too? <laughs> <laughs> na, 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 no, 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 no. No,
1: no, no.
2: Yeah. The, the intro, I might add, was not a mistake. We thought we'd leave that in.
1: Was oh, that the very, very intro? <laughs>
2: the very, very start. The first thing the people, fr- heard first people heard was that. W- yeah was was madness. <laughs> and that was the, the the pre-recording to to the start of the show that, sure that you <laughs> here.
1: That was the three of us sitting in this room prepping. Yeah. So you think that we just jump into this, but we don't. We even um, do voice, voice warm-up. warm-up. Gallipoli. <laughs> We're... Uh, Bringing this to you from a very stormy, dark, wet Scotland. It's horrendous. My puppy is up in the office. I'm sure in any second now he's about to cause carnage by probably pulling all the podcast gear off the table. He promised that he was going to be quiet. Yeah, I'm going to scratch him and hopefully he'll be quiet. This week you are going to be hearing from the man that you heard at the very start of this, doing his voice warm-up, who is Tyler Sharp, uh, the editor and man behind Modern Huntsman. You also heard him last week, guess, yes, you did. guest uh the podcast Absolutely, uh, so that was pretty cool to have him guest intro This show's primarily going to be about Modern Huntsman A little bit about Tyler's time in Scotland with us over the last few days uh, And he's going to give you a rundown of Volume 2 And what they've learned, what to expect going forward And all the kind of grand plans of the Modern Huntsman team He'll be glad he's not here this week it is terrible. Well, he had a pretty shitty week last week. I would say it's worse this week than it was last week. So it was great to have him over in Scotland again. Um, a pleasure to take him out on the hill, share Thanksgiving with him, uh, and his his lovely lady as well, who you will be hearing from in a future podcast. And he came to the rugby with us. He Not did the Saturday. best of games, but we'll, we'll it, you know, it was still a good experience. Scotland won, <laughs> so that was a bonus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think we'll say anything more about this podcast, no, don't need to no, but uh, if you don't know about modern huntsman there's at least one other podcast on it from before Modern Huntsman even really existed in the form that it exists now uh Tyler and Brad came on the podcast during the kickstarter phase That's of uh the, the publication, so you can go back and check that one out if you haven't listened to it already, and if you want to get your if you're enticed by what you hear and you haven't seen Modern Huntsman. Go and jump on to the our website if you're in the UK or Europe, and you'll be able to order Volume One and Volume Two should be here shortly. And if you are
2: wondering where your copy is, Tyler does explain at the very start of this um, this podcast.
1: So hopefully it will clear it's everything up. In, for it's you. in the high seas right now. Yeah, hopefully, well, hopefully <laughs> not in Hopefully not in the sea. <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully on the high yeah. seas, nice and dry on the pallet that it's coming in. We have two competitions two competition results to announce on this podcast because we let one run on. It was probably the funnest competition, I think, that we've ever run. We're going to do another one like it as well. We wanted funny pictures of your dogs and it was unbelievable, the amount that you sent in. My phone, because
2: I was screened because people were entering through Instagram and Facebook and on Instagram, often the pictures disappear, so I was screenshotting them all. And I must have had over 300 pictures of
1: people's dogs on my phone at one point but we have a winner we selected our sort of top six yep stuck it up on social and let you all decide Yep. and the winner was it was a, a spaniel wasn't it yeah I'm, I'm shaking not sure. spaniel yeah it was a shaking spaniel and mm. the uh, the owner of that
2: spaniel is andrew taylor congratulations there were loads of votes on facebook and instagram And, uh, yeah, congratulations. And all the top six will receive podcast stickers. So if you were in the top six, please contact us for your podcast sticker. um, Because, yeah, that's the best way. That is the best way.
1: Just just shoot us an email, contact us on social. We will probably mention, we'll tag Andrew in the post that it was originally on. And he will get his CZ doormat as soon as he sends over the details. Yep. The second competition which we're going to announce was the chance to win the latest edition of the Hornady Reloading Manual. And we asked you to subscribe to the website. And what we're going to do is we're going to send out our very first um, email shout-out in probably a year with the winner on it. So if you're a new
2: subscriber or an old subscriber, you'll get it. So, yeah, first one in a year. We don't spam people. No. But we're also, in that shout-out, we're going to um, put up uh, things that are happening at Christmas. Uh, we're bringing out prints very shortly so people will be able to buy some, some prints. We've never, ever sold any of our work before. Um, so, so we've got some limited edition well, yeah.
1: prints of um, some photography that we do. Yep. Uh, we'll give you the latest, um, latest stuff on our shop. Yep. Uh, and some films that we've released recently, just in case you missed them. It's all going to be good stuff in the lead up to Christmas. Yeah. Things to entertain yourself with. We might even highlight some of the sort of top podcasts in the last year as well, just in case you missed any. So, thank you very much for all the subscribers. You'll find out if you were the lucky winner in the next few days. Is there another competition? Well, now we have the actual <laughs> competition for for this show, which is going to be the chance to win a H- reloading with Rosie Hornady mug. Coffee mug. Yep. Um, Highly sought after. We did. And I don't know what, but we've got quite a lot of um, CZ Firearms merch, like T-shirts and stickers and stuff like that. So I'm going to go through the boxes and I'm also going to bundle some of that some together stuff in. to yeah. chuck in with the mug. Sounds and, like a plan. And how are we going to... How are we gonna run this? Ooh. What do people have to this is, do? This is
2: a tough one, this is a tough one. I think it you just you just for this one you just need to throw your ring in the hat. So we'll put up a picture and you just need to share or tag friends or something. Yeah, comment like that. below probably.
1: So go make sure if you're not following us on Instagram, you go and do that, Paste underscore brothers or on Facebook, because that'll be the easiest way for you to enter this when and you if, see the post go
2: up. If you're not on any social media, just send us an email and we'll put your name into the draw anyway
1: and we've that, got one oh, more we competition do, we do uh <laughs> we've got competitions coming out of our ears we, uh we mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago and that was the the very uh very nice pr lady for ed stafford said to us that she would send up or send out a free book for our podcast listeners sorry so, only uk listeners yes i'm sorry because i know there are a lot of you around the world but that is the criteria. for this. Yeah. It's the first time we've ever done that, actually, where we've, we've limited it's a, it's it first time geographically. Time ever, so. uh, but the the book is by Ed Stafford. It, it is called "It's Underneath My it's Adventures for a Lifetime." It is Adventures for a Lifetime. We had Ed Stafford on uh, a couple of shows ago. Yeah, yeah. So go and if you missed that for whatever reason, go and check it out because it was a great podcast. Fantastic for him to put some time aside to speak to us. And the book that we talk about in that podcast, you now have a chance to win. And we. It's, i've already thought about yeah, it you have haven't you? It's, it's all simple we'll put up a picture of
2: the book uh online on facebook and on our instagram and all you need to do is comment below about an adventure that you would like to do something you would like to achieve it doesn't have to be anything ridiculous and we'll just pick between us in the office the most interesting one the one that catches our eye it literally can be anything anything you want it can be you know i I want to achieve climbing a hill in in this area. It doesn't have to be K2. No, it doesn't have to be yeah, K2 or Everest or anything like that. And yeah, give us your reasons why. And we'll explain it all in the post. Um, and we'll probably run
1: this to just before Christmas. Yeah, so, I think so. so. Hopefully Enough it, time for us to get the book out To get Christmas. it out before yeah. Christmas, yeah. Uh, and as always, just feel free to email if you don't use social media, and we will throw that into the the, the list of people yeah. who
2: enter. Podcast at paceproductionsuk.com it is also in the description.
1: And I think that's us for intros yes, before the
2: show. It is. With yeah. Tyler Sharp. Enjoy the show. It's uh, Yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed re-listening or re-editing uh, this show, uh, because obviously I was part of it. But enjoy the show.
1: Did Tyler mention how he uh, people can follow him at the end of this? Uh,
2: I am not, no I don't think he does actually I don't think he does He's. I think he's Tyler Sharp
1: Photography on yes, Instagram Yes, he is yeah. So th- that's the best place to follow him Because he puts up some epic pictures on there And of course Modern Huntsman are on Facebook And Instagram as well Tyler, welcome back to the Into the Wilderness podcast Kind of for a third time Because, well actually kind of for a fourth time First time, recording didn't work Second time we drank, well, you drank a lot of whiskey. I drank a lot of port, I think, <laughs> which everybody heard. And then you guest introed the podcast Absolutely, a week there ago. was another time. Was because
2: that? when we're the first oh, Modern yeah. Huntsman
1: was ever launched, she came Yeah, up, a year I ago. I forgot about that.
0: We were trying to figure out how long ago it was we met. And it was, seems like way longer than a year, but it was just one year ago.
1: One year ago, you and Brad came on we
0: were sitting in Brad's truck in North Texas yeah I remember on I our remember. way to a meeting for a different photo shoot unrelated to Modern Huntsman because we were still having to take on extra work to keep the lights on and uh, and yeah we had your the phone and the dashboard doing an international <laughs> Skype call recording on your podcast uh, so. and, that,
2: and now you've been to Scotland twice
0: now I've been to Scotland in, in, twice in the, in the
2: year, last year that's not bad for someone that we've met on Instagram and I'm basically
0: <laughs> a member of your family now yeah. considering that we've had Thanksgiving together yeah yeah Glad to be back.
1: No, it's. uh, I'm sorry
0: about the weather. You know, I couldn't have come to Scotland and not seen mist and rain, right? Honestly, I I'm not joking. This is the worst weather we've had for the year.
2: (laughs) But it is this time of year where you get this kind of weather, so it's partially your fault for coming this time of year. That's
0: okay. You know, not to be. uh, I'm not disappointed. I mean, it was a little rainy yesterday on our hunt, but it. It looks beautiful. The pictures were atmospheric. amazing. Yeah, very atmospheric.
1: So volume two is sitting on your lap. It is there. It's tangible. You can touch it. Now, before we talk a little bit about it, I need you to, to speak to... Our podcast listeners who have ordered volume two and they're thinking, well, how the hell does Tyler have a copy in his lap? But mine hasn't arrived on my doorstep yet.
0: Sure. Well, you know, you got to keep in mind that we we printed these in the United States and they were shipped directly to our office in Texas. So a lot of the initial orders that were placed in the United States or people who had ordered them overseas, you know, they were paying... Pretty high shipping rates, so there might be some people overseas who have them because they ordered them through the Modern Huntsman site, but they probably paid an additional thirty dollars in shipping. So we apologize for you seeming like everyone else has them. I'm sure you've seen stuff on Instagram, and and, and Brad's done a great job of reposting a lot of Instagram it's been stories, cool to see showing people opening people. them up and you know kind of uh, reading them and and sitting next to the fire. But the entire palette of magazines that you guys ordered is currently uh en route overseas on a boat somewhere uh, and for some strange reason they don't provide as accurate of tracking for a ship as they do for an individual package via a shipping mm-hmm. courier so we do know that it's on the way we don't know the exact arrival date but hopefully in the next week uh, hopefully maybe by the time this podcast comes out they might have landed we here. should have an exact date but it should be any day now and we are hopefully optimistic that it's going to be on time so that everyone gets them um, f- before Christmas. So well, there
1: you go. You've heard it from the editor. Yeah. We're we we we're not lying to you. It is on its way. But we, but we do have a backup plan. If, we do. If, if it doesn't come
2: before Christmas. So for, all for, yeah. for all the pre-orders. For so all the pre-orders. Don't worry. We're just going
0: to postpone Christmas.
2: <laughs> Push it back. Yeah. Tyler's going to fly back with two suitcases full of modern Huntsman. Yeah. Which,
1: which With Katie and have Christmas <laughs> and here. And have Christmas here. Tyler Claus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Volume 2. Mm-hmm. Volume 1 set of the scene? Yeah. You talked about that in the, in the last podcast. What was Volume 2, or what is Volume 2 about?
0: Sure. So Volume 1, we intentionally didn't have a specific theme because we wanted to sort of present a pretty broad spect- spectrum of topics and people and just kind of say, Hey, look, this is the direction we're going. This is what we want to discuss. These are the type of people that are going to be involved. And from there, we're going to start to get more specific. So Volume 2 is themed around public land. And so for those of you not in the United States, it might be somewhat of a foreign concept or at least not a um, common concept. But in the United States, we have the privilege of having massive amounts. I, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's millions and millions of acres of public land that we can, as American citizens, and actually, so as American citizens, we own that. Right, And and we all kind of share this um, inheritance of, of land and the wildlife. Uh, people from other countries can come to the United States and hunt on public land. As long as you have the right permit, depending on what state you're in, it's your land too. You can access it. Um, and so there's been a lot of situations in the United States where, you know, states have wanted to try to gain control over this land and potentially allow, you know, resource extraction or, you know, oil drilling or, you know, private landowners want more. So anyways, there's been sort of some uh, conflict and contention over this. And so we thought it was an important uh, time to start to discuss that. And so in the United States, at least, there's a division between the hunting... Uh, community and what would we would coin the outdoor community, right? Hunters and and rock climbers and I'm, I'm sorry, there's the hunters and anglers, right? Yep. And then on the other side, there's the you know, hikers.
1: All the other outdoor activities more outdoor you
0: can that they would call non-consumptive users, okay. right? So it, typically there's been kind of a division, right? Well, they don't like each other, and so the purpose of volume two was to kind of say, hey, this is more important. The Protecting because they all use it. Yes, they all use the public land as an access point. It's more important that we agree on the fact that this public land is an amazing asset that we need to protect and keep from dwindling. Because once it goes private, private in most cases, you you keep that's it. It's done. So, uh, and there's you know, you know various political people with nefarious uh, objectives that that might be trying to gain it for you know their own you know, interest and in that kind of thing. A lot of it's to do with money. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Or, or corporate interest and, in, you know, big energy companies and things like that. And I'm certainly not the expert on that. Um, but I think... But that, you have some experts involved. Yeah, here. and so that's kind of the role I'm trying to take as a presenter. I, I'm not going to position... There's there's some things I feel that I am educated on. Um, the reality of public land is not necessarily my forte. So we're doing our best to find people who are experts on those. And then ideally, we're presenting a diverse array of perspectives. So um, in this book, I would say that probably 65% of the stories are focused on U.S.-based conflicts and, and stories and the difference between public land and private land and then how in certain situations private landowners are working in cooperation with state or federal agencies or, or conservation groups to create wildlife corridors to make sure that, you know, as as animals leave Yellowstone National Park and are going onto these large tracts of public or private land, that th- these landowners are doing what they can to improve that corridor and, okay. al- and allow for migrations of animals instead of them just running into an area with a massive fence. Um, so
1: collaborative working between public land and the private land ownership
0: yeah and uh and so uh as charles always coins the term best and could be better practices you know we kind of showcase a a variety of those situations what it means how it could be better uh you know some of the people who we think are doing a fantastic job um, and then situations of of just people who live off the land and and live uh, you know have public land on their back doorstep and then we also sort of move into the international situation. What does that look like around the world? What's land access look like in other countries? So, you know, y'all had two stories in this issue. One is on Scotland, kind of the reality of, of land access and ownership in Scotland, and then one in New Zealand, which was about the tar, and, and we can talk about that more in a little bit. Um, and then we had uh, Argentina. We had, um, you know, Austria and Italy. We had um, Central Africa. um well, New Zealand, uh, and, and several others. So we we definitely, we kind of have three sections of the book. So it wasn't just a North American-centric? No. You, you did touch other parts
1: of the world, which I think yeah. is, is is great. I know that was always your plan to kind of expand that.
0: Yeah, I think with each issue, we want to expand a little more uh, in, in region, in, in diversity of topic, because we know that our audience is increasing in other parts of the world and, and UK is a is a, is a a huge uh, readership for us. And so we want to make sure that we're discussing some of these topics that are relevant when, for you guys. When
2: you were, um, obviously the, the Modern Huntsman's got out and it's mainly got out to the US right mm. now. Uh, and have you had any feedback with people about the Scotland article? Because it, obviously it's a very interesting thing, are the, our land use here compared to the, the US, our access. Have you discussed with anyone that when you've been back over or even just when you've talked about it
0: not yet you know honestly it's been a little bit of a whirlwind so we released this issue about three weeks ago yeah, it's not long really and since then i've been constant I, I i was I directed a film out in montana and then we flew back to west texas and we were out there and then we went straight came over here so i've been traveling a lot the last few weeks and haven't really had the chance to talk with anyone about it it seems like the response has been very positive based on what you know we've seen on our instagram and online and and the emails brad's been been looking after that for you yeah yeah yeah. and so um i I put up an instagram post the other day about one of my pieces I, i wrote a piece about um a private landowner in texas who goes to great lengths to um you know sort of make sure that this wildlife corridor exists and that he's doing what he can to improve the habitat for for native species and I sort of asked a question at the end. Hey, did anyone? What do you guys think? Does this? Do you disagree with what I said? Do you, mm. you know? And uh, I, I, thanks to the Instagram algorithm, maybe it just didn't reach enough people's uh, feeds because I didn't really. No one really responded, so I haven't really had a chance to engage with people about, about the, the t- yeah, specific yeah. topics. Um, I know Brad really wants to do a lot of Instagram live stuff, okay. so I think that when I get back, we're going to try to be a little more active with. Uh, having discussions with people about the issues and specific stories in general. Um, and then that might be something to do with you guys. Maybe mm. we try to do an you, Instagram you, you live together. You can now drop in on other people's yeah. lists. You so can so have two people live We, now we could once. have split, split screens. Cool. So maybe we should plan something where, you know, I know there's a time zone difference, but maybe we could do something at the same time where we actually discuss with your uh, audience and our audience, the Scotland specific, or any of those topics.
1: Yeah, it pulls you, both audiences. Exactly, into like that. that's really clever.
2: cool. Uh, are you finding um, that Instagram is getting a little bit harder to get in front of people recently? Uh, we find with certain things, even though it might be an amazing picture, it just just doesn't reach people.
0: So, for for the Modern Huntsman Instagram, no, because Brad is. A wizard and he's <laughs> constantly on it and he's constantly posting and he's very very active and he responds to a lot of comments so i think that that plays into the engagement and, and how many people see it he's also doing a lot of active promotion and running campaigns yeah. so i think that uh, that instagram is is much more uh, it's a better example my personal instagram i'm terrible at staying consistent about responding to comments you know i I'm terrible at checking direct messages. So I think that might have something to do with it. I know you guys are much more active than I am on that, but. That's I,
1: mainly. That's old Daryl.
0: <laughs> I don't know how, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a system anymore. It's just, it's kind of a guessing game. I guess. I think the, the bottom line is they want you on it more. So the more you're on it and you know your face glued to the Instagram screen maybe they reward you for that but i don't know but
2: i don't know cuz it's a strange one because you say they want you on it more but then they've introduced the things like see if you're scrolling through your feed it then now comes up saying you've you're now you're now up to date stop looking
0: i've never reached that point yeah. so <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah. so yeah it's a strange one because they've been talking about Uh, I mean, Zuckerberg himself came out a few weeks ago and said people need to spend more time with their families, less time on Facebook. They want Facebook to to be more of a a quality experience over quantity. Hmm. That's what they were saying. So it's funny that he's saying that, but... You're getting a personal message. Daryl, go
0: talk to your wife. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) And and now the phones, all the updates on iPhones all come up with um, your stats every week. It says you're up from last week on social media, you're down Mm. from last week to make you more aware. Kind of scary, actually. Yeah. yeah.
1: If you look at it. And they'll time out apps as well. Yeah,
2: yeah, well, you can put um, restrictions of hours on it. Yeah. But I I try and keep it only now during the working day. Yeah. Because otherwise it's too much.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that... It's, it's good to separate responsibilities and, you know, I'm much more focused on, on the long-term vision and, and the editorial yeah. of the magazine and, and the message uh, that we're kind of putting out into the world. And Brad's much more focused on the marketing and the digital side and he's really, really good at, it. and you have to like it to mm-hmm. be good at it. I'm, I don't, I only use social media, and my website because you have to right and I don't spend a lot of time on it. So I'm trying to get better. Um, and Katie's been really good about helping me, find a formula that works maybe that's a scheduled time where okay at this time I'm going to spend an hour going through that and responding to you know comments or, or putting content on there haven't been great at being consistent yet um but I think that it's amazing to see you know w- when you put something out there I mean the New Zealand film that that, that you guys produced uh that we helped release was yeah. a great example of something that that was the most interacted piece of content we've ever put out. And I don't, I don't know if you guys checked how many views it had at this point, but it's quite a bit.
1: I point. haven't recently. I know within like three days it had about 50,000.
0: Which is amazing. Yeah, three days. Right? So when piece. you think about something that's important. And I'm going to th- check now while we talk. And you think about something that you actually want to get out there. Um, and, and maybe that's something that Brad could come on and talk to you guys later about what you can do to ensure that it gets in front of the people that you want it to. So yeah. I don't know what he did, but...
1: Well, there was a lot of things that kind of came together for that. So the like you said, the, the story's in Volume 2, mm-hmm. but the film release was before Volume 2 was actually printed Yeah, because it tied in with the massive issue of the tar cull in New Zealand, which we have actually talked about on the on the podcast before, right in the middle of when that was happening when potentially they were going to be culling the vast majority of their population. Uh, and just by pure luck... I had been writing a story and making a film three months before, mm-hmm. without ever knowing that the government yeah. was going to make that decision. So there was a little bit, a little bit of I can't claim I can't. <laughs> forward planning credit for well, that. It's on the modern huntsman page. Though. I can't. Add-
2: yeah, I know, but it's it's on their Facebook. I can't actually see how many uh, views it's had, but we we can follow. It, up. It's had almost a thousand people share it. So yeah, <laughs> we can hard. follow
0: up with Brad, and and yeah. it was funny because um, you're you're norm you're normally quite relaxed with your emails, and when I got the email about the New Zealand thing, it kind of had this red alert feel. You were like you know urgent you know the new zealand government just announced this we really need to think about releasing this film in a timely manner and well it was a
1: terrible time for me to be yeah. bothering you because you were you were the, your whole team was just up to your eyeballs in the f- finishing the editing and putting together volume two <coughs> um so i i always try and avoid trying to bother you during that period of time because i know how stressful it is but then this was such a time sensitive issue it was they only gave the people like Twelve days, I think. Yeah. Before they were going to implement the cull, and we were already five or six days into that time frame when I sent that email. And the film was—I kind of rushed to dedicate the time to finish it. Mm-hmm. So we we need to get this out now for it to potentially help to make a difference. Sure. And uh, but anyway, we did turn around, and you guys came back. And uh, we got it up on the the Modern Huntsman Facebook page. And-
0: I want to make a correction. There, you said when my whole team was working on the issue, your whole team, I, you, I don't you and Katie. Have a team. <laughs> it's basically a <laughs> team of t-
1: you guys and Brad.
0: Yeah, and you know Charles Post was a big help. Yeah. in this issue in particular, um, the official term we've coined is ecology editor because a lot of the lens he's viewing things from is his ecological background. Um, so he helped me uh, much more in the beginning with the. Curation of the individuals and the direction of the stories, and, and he helped with some of the editing. Um, but, you know, I did the majority of the proofreading and the editing and that sort of thing. We had a professional proofreader. Um, and then, you know, once I kind of got things to a, a decent spot, we just ran out of time. I mean, at a certain point, you got to take the cake out of the oven. And that's when we passed it to Katie, and then she takes it from there. And I know that you guys are going to get to talk to her later, which yeah. I'm really excited about. She's kind of been the uh, the quiet face behind this amazing... She's magazine. sitting in the room while we're recording this yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Listening so, in. Over there smiling. Um, so, you know, I think that it's going to be really interesting for everyone to hear about her philosophy and her objectives solely from a design standpoint, not having anything to do with hunting or conservation, but just from design. And uh, and and I think that... I don't I don't want to speak too much about it because I want to let her talk yeah. about it, but, you know... I think a common theme with modern huntsman is we are, we are trying to do something one that no one's ever done two that is consistently innovative and challenging um and and we are trying to push into new territory that ideally is going to help elevate everybody's um you know perspective on this and the way they think about it the way they enter conduct themselves the photography they're taking the questions they're asking whether they're a hunter or not um and trying to through a long-term chess game completely blur or eradicate the lines between you know the hunting and the outdoor communities that this should be that that's a just of one more division in this world that we do we really need that you know right or left or red or blue or north or south whatever I mean that's just we need to be moving more towards common ground instead of you know division and so uh, I think that with each issue she's trying to do something new um, and sure we're drawing inspiration from um, you know from certain areas that she'll talk more about but I think that really we want to do something that is pushing the envelope across the board um, and I, I feel like we've been pretty successful so far um, how long we'll be able to do that is you know to be determined but I think that that's our goal is to try to do something fresh and new and, and thought provoking so.
1: Give us a, a kind of sample of what's inside uh, Volume Two. You've got it on your lap, obviously. You don't. We're not going to talk about every article in sure. there, but they're you know just a flavour for people who haven't got their hands on it yet or yeah. haven't actually ordered it, and you you do need to do it because. I was, as we've said before in here, I was blown away with Volume One, even though we had had a lot more discussions with you guys, so we yeah. we knew kind of what to expect, and then it arrived, and I was like, "Wow, you delivered!" Yeah, and more. And I've just seen Volume Two in our hands in the last two days, and I just said to you, "It's just incredible." So, if you like Volume One, Volume Two is most definitely more impressive. Yeah, and, and that doesn't take anything away from Volume One. It's just right. raised the game. And, like you said before, has some more relevant
2: stuff to people yeah. over here. So, I mean, if you did like Volume One, then you're going to like it even more because it has stuff about your doorstep in the UK or yeah. well, New Zealand.
0: You know, I don't want to call it a, a a reckless blindness in, in trying to, you know achieve these goals. But I I remember having a a conversation with Simon Roosevelt, who amazingly agreed to be our official conservation advisor moving forward. So he's in the masthead um, and he's been an advisor for me throughout this whole process. And I I remember talking to him before we started to put this issue together about what I wanted to do and the issues I wanted to tackle and the point we were trying to make. And um, especially in situations where I made a case in one of my stories for how private landowners can contribute to conservation or in how certain cases they're actually more dedicated conservationists because they understand what it takes to manage land because they own land versus somebody who is just a public land user who doesn't own any land, they just use the land for recreation. Without necessarily managing it. Yeah. And he was like, wow, that's a tall order. He's like, I, I don't know how you're going to do that. And, and it seems like something that... um, I, he's just, I'm not really sure how you're going to do that. I said, well, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to try to do it anyways. <laughs> um, and I feel like, you know, he, he messaged us the other day and, and he said that he, um, you know, was really impressed with what he saw so far. He was looking forward to digging into the issues. Um, and, uh, yeah, I feel like we've accomplished our goal. Um, I think at the, of course you can set it a, an array of goals, but one of the goals we had with this was to, um, you know, really just, present these topics and have something that when someone's done reading this issue, they can walk away feeling more informed, uh, and then actually having access to some resources for if they want to get more involved. So a little, the resources are a little more relevant to the United States, right? Cause we had, um, and that, that's actually what I was going to move into next that we actually had sponsors of this issue. Volume one, we didn't have any association with brands. We funded the whole thing ourselves. And with this one, we had, uh, a combination of of actual sponsors, and then we had um, some conservation partners. So, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers, and then National Forest Foundation, which is the nonprofit partner of the National Forest Service in the United States. So, with them, they actually gave us access to their resources, their data, their surveys. Um, you know, in in some cases, their membership base. So that's something where if people wanted to learn more about forest management or um you know public land uh, awareness or or activism they could go to these websites and learn more about how to be involved or, or how to participate so we definitely wanted to present more of those opportunities um on the brand side this was sort of a model that we made up you know we we had volume one and we know that we needed we needed help we needed a way to help fund this magazine without making it look like other magazines
1: like blatant advert.
0: yeah just well in a lot of cases you see adverts advertisements in a magazine and they were submitted by the advertiser and it doesn't necessarily fit in with uh, the look and feel of the book and so what we did we had five sponsors um yeti was our our biggest sponsor um sitka um there's a, a company in the in texas called epic bars epic provisions and they sort of made they're good it's amazing yeah they are they sort of um protein s- snacks but you know organic uh you know, bison, bison, bison yeah. venison turkey salmon a bunch of stuff like that um Irish Setter Boots, which is a division of Red Wing Boots, um, and then Chama Chairs. So these were the five brands we had for this issue. And basically, we kind of partnered with them and we, we had these conversations behind the curtain, which is much more difficult to coordinate because we're talking with the marketing directors and we're talking about what they're trying to accomplish in the next six months. And we basically would find a way to position them next to stories that were relevant to their company's initiatives or, or conservation focus and so they kind of acted as presenters of specific stories um that help promote their their you know ethos and then we have product sort of worked into these stories i mean a, a lot of people use specific products anyways i mean when you guys come visit in the united states you'll see that there's yetis everywhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And so that's not hard for us to just make sure that we're including some of that in the stories. Um, and that that was one of my main focuses with, with this one was making sure that we integrated this stuff without it looking too heavy-handed. So, so it was
1: actually part rather than just an addition. Yes,
0: yeah. And so um, it took a lot of convincing for everyone to trust us that okay. we know what we were doing because... no it's one's different, right? No one's really... Well, there's variations that people have done, but not in the way... We did it. And I'm not going to go into detail because that would spill the beans on our super secret model. Um, But then Brad comes in on on the digital side and and we have coordinated, you know, um, online stories and product features on the website and homepage feature. We're promoting a film series. So, for instance, um, our chef feature in this issue is, is Chef Eduardo Garcia. And an amazing, inspiring guy. And, and if you haven't seen his documentary called Charged, you should definitely it's, check it it's out. All, it's it's I mean, on Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's on yeah. iTunes. Um, and um, It's free on Amazon if you've got it, Prime. Is it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Um, so Eduardo had released a film series with Yeti called Hungry Life. It's really good. It's really good. really good. And we just got lucky in the sense of the timing, right, with the release of these films, came out, maybe three weeks before we released volume two. So we coordinated with Yeti, hey, we'll, we would love to help promote this film series um, through our channels as well. And so that became one of those things. So we're, we're trying to sync up as much as we can with the the you know contributors and, and folks we have involved with the issue. And we kind of say, okay, everybody dump their pockets out. What do we got, right? What projects do you have coming up? What films are you releasing? And then how can we help promote it? Because at the end of the day, the more people who see this type of quality work, whether it's, you know, Eduardo's film or it's, or it's one of your films or, um, you know, across the board, the the better. So in that sense, that was a big difference between volume one and volume two was integrating, you know, a little bit of brands and, and, uh, and so it was more than
1: just the paper you have in your hand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and those are longer partnerships. So it'll be over the course of six months that we release a lot of this stuff. Um, and we're hoping that that develops into, sort of a long-term thing where we're saying, okay, well, let's talk about the next few issues. And, and then, you know, we're, we're actually going out and producing films and, and, um, you know, releasing multiple stories and that kind of stuff. So, um, that's a big difference. And, um, I think that one of those stories in particular that I'm really proud of was, uh, there's a, a a young, um, a young woman named Erin Kiley, who she was not a hunter. Um, she was a, a rancher and grew up in a combination of Virginia, and and was ranching out in California, and I don't remember exactly if she was actually vegetarian, but she definitely wasn't a hunter, and she got volume one, and was so inspired by it that she decided she wanted to learn how to hunt, so she went and signed up for this hunting course in Washington state, and Uh, learned how to shoot a rifle and shoot a bow and and you know learned about woodcraft and they went on a turkey hunt and it wasn't successful but just that experience was really inspiring for her and um, basically kind of in her words shattered her paradigm of hunting she viewed it in another way we presented it in the way that we had and it changed her mind so that's literally a direct representation of what we're trying to do with this book and she ended up contacting us through a friend, um, Ed Robertson of the Mountain and Prairie podcast. and Great podcast. Yeah, it is. That's great. And you should have him on here at some it, point. Um, it's in the works. Good. So anyway, she ended up writing a piece for Volume 2. So she's in here and talks about how her new being able to approach hunting without the, the pretext from before, without the conceptions of what she thought it was that... That this made her able to approach hunting on her own terms and has now realized that her view of sustainable ranching is not all that different from hunting in, in terms of rather than just thinking about one animal, you're thinking about the entire ecosystem and how... You know, you're you're a part of this ecosystem, and and how the animal plays a part in, you know, the ecology and and the the rotation of the soil and and the um, you know the spread of seeds and and germination and all that kind of stuff. So, and she would um, she would say it much better than I could. So that's another person to have that, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but epic. That's what they focus on. Is this sort of holistic regenerative grazing and ranching practices so we were able to connect those two so they're already working on their own thing and that's a perfect example of how we were able to pair a brand with a contributor who already think the same they're doing the same type of thing perfect matchup the story was a great example of something that we want to do and everybody was happy um, and, and so I think that that's, uh, I hope that it's that easy every time. Um, but that's something I was really excited about because that's kind of what I had in mind when we came up with this. I was like, surely there's ways where we can find people who want to do stories that brands are hoping to do anyways. And it's basically like a grant, right here, go do this.
1: But, but more than that, that's another, that is a great example of one of the things you wanted to achieve with modern hunts. Absolutely. Which is open the door yeah, and say be involved yeah, and understand it at the level that you want to understand. And it's great that people
2: feel that, I mean, we see it on our, our Instagram and that people contacting us, but feel like they can contact mm-hmm. contact you and speak to you. Yeah. And, yeah. And instead I of a big a massive brand where you go, oh, I'm <laughs> going to shoot them a message, but I'll never get It'll go through it, HR. Yeah, yeah <laughs>
0: we're going to give them your email address for now. <laughs> if they want to contact me, you can be the gatekeeper. Yeah. So we're actually, that's something that we're going to do for volume three. We're going to open it up more broadly for submissions. Um, we're in the process of putting a system in place where we could actually field this because I get a lot of random emails or we'll get them through our website or I'll get an Instagram message. And it just, it becomes hard to kind of keep track of everything and who I've talked to and what our conversation was. And, and that's great, right? That there's, you know, that level of, of interest, but it, it, it's quickly growing beyond my ability to communicate with everyone. Mm-hmm. So we need, we're, we're trying to put a system in place where we can handle that a little more efficiently and uh because there's a lot of people whether or not it's their story they may know of something that's really really interesting or valid for the next issue and and that's going to be a good way for us to kind of field some of that stuff uh so yeah i think it's in this case we we pretty much handpicked everyone for volume two Uh, i mean you and i kind of dreamed up your stories back you know when i was here in in may Mm -hmm. um and then you know obviously i wrote several charles wrote several um and we have uh, you know, a handful of returning contributors from volume one, but quite a few new people. So um, volume one was 204 pages. This is 256. So it's quite a bit bigger. It's
1: noticeable. when even when you... Yeah. It, you know.
0: And then we had, I think, 13 or 14 contributors in volume one, we have over 30 in this one. And some of that is also some people wrote the story, and there was a different photographer. So there's a few situations where there's two contributors for one story but but we also have quite a few more people involved um which was a lot of work it it was great right but you know that's a lot when i look at this thing and and it was only in the last week or two that i was able to pick this back up without without shaking yeah (laughs) yeah it was rough i had to i had to uh distance myself it it was uh got down to the wire to to produce it so talk
1: talk to the challenges of of being you know an editor and the the front man of something like this because most people won't understand what what's involved in not only being the editor of a magazine but being the editor of something like modern huntsman which is you know you analyze what goes in there to a level that i don't believe is really done anywhere else not in not in the hunting space
0: yeah, I think that in the beginning, I was a total pain in the ass to Brad and Elliot. And I know that I'm definitely a pain in the ass to Katie. And she'll talk more about that later. <laughs> we we, we, we should say that Katie
1: is the designer, but also your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so we work together and live together and create together. Um which is fantastic most of the times, uh, but in certain cases, like the final production week of Modern Huntsman can be quite hard. I'm just watching her face while you're talking. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so uh, in terms of what I feel the stakes are here are very high, right? Because I think you both could attest that at least in the hunting space and especially in modern media, you can't really take anything back. If you misstep... You know, there's consequences. There's consequences. Um, and so that's why I mentioned earlier I don't see myself as a magazine editor or a photographer or a writer. I view myself as a chess player right now. I feel like I'm playing a massive long term chess game and I'm trying to move one piece at a time. Analyzing the board, adjusting to shifts in perception or horrible news headlines or, you know, feedback or what other magazines are doing or what other magazines might be copying what we're doing and trying to outflank all of them. So with this, you know, we kind of sat down and we said, okay, what do we do with volume one? What do we like? What do we not like? What do we feel like should be better? Whether that's the message, the people, the design, the distribution. Uh, the brands that were involved and then, you know, how do we want to make that better just in general? And then with the theme of volume two with public land, we, we kind of sat down and said, okay, what are the issues here? What do we, which, which of these do we feel qualified to take on? Which ones, what do we want to say? What do we want people to walk away with? Uh, And then if they want to learn more, where do they go to do it? And so I know that's a lot, but that's kind of where we started with this. And um, and and I got to give credit to Charles because he I think he's a great balance for me, right? Cuz we have we have different backgrounds, we have common interests, but totally different backgrounds. And so he kind of balances balances me out and vice versa. So when I have a strong belief on something, he'll say, "Well, eh, you didn't think about this or this or what these people are going to think." So I think we come from different enough backgrounds that it helps Helps us have a, a, a more broad a broader view of everything. Um, so I wish that I had some sort of tracker for how many phone calls, emails, text messages. So I I know for sure that in the month of September I did over 3,500 emails. No way. Which is a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that's not me physically typing 3,500, but that's in terms of threads and conversations and replies. You still have to put your eyeballs on yeah. these, yeah. And But I did personally talk to every single contributor in this book about their story, uh, what we wanted to do, in certain cases, multiple phone calls uh, throughout the process, Um, you know, because everybody's sort of at a different level. Some people are very, you know, experienced contributors and writers where, you know, I mean, Byron, in your case, you turn in a story and there's very little editing, right? Same, I paid him to say that, <laughs> and and Jillian as well. Um, you know her stories are more long form poems, beautiful, and, and so the editing. I mean, I apart from maybe whether an apostrophe or should be there or not. There's I don't touch it, and then there's other people who are sort of working working through this. Right? They they maybe this is their first long form story. So there was a few situations like that. Um and and I really have no I don't know if this is going to discredit me as an editor, but I, I don't have previous experience as a magazine editor. Right. I've been a contributor, right? And I feel I'm basing a lot of this on how I feel the process should be better. Bad experiences I had with other magazines. And so I just, you know, and, and Katie's gotten on to me about this. She's like, oh well, you know, you you should be able to pass some of this off and I think, in my opinion, why I feel as proud of this as I do is because I've personally had a part in every, you know, every step along the way, um, and I and I want the experience to be personal. I want the contributors to feel like they're a part of it rather than just somebody who, you know, sent in some photos and we're like, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we'll never speak again.
1: Well, uh, as someone who has sent in a lot of articles to different publications around the world over the last decade. I, I can't think of another case where there is so much interaction with the person behind it, with the editor, where you're actually getting proper feedback constructively to say, you know what, I think the reader would really enjoy it if you could add one more paragraph here just to expand on this point that you've made. And I don't think I've ever had that before. Uh, and, uh, and that's great. It's also not very often that
2: Byron puts in an article, quite often the, the pictures are mine as well, uh, that the article comes out and you're actually particularly happy with it. You look at it and the article's fine because you've written it, but the way it's been laid out, you go, "They've kind of butchered my work in a way."
1: Um, Especially the, the, when you get the, try, when you think you've given nice photos, whereas we the, flick through these ones. To, yeah, you yes, flick through
2: that. I mean, there's a few. There, don't get me wrong. There's a few that we've worked with in Germany and that, and they do a really good job. There, there is a few around the world, but on the whole. They end up butchering. It's the not work. the normality. Or they don't credit um, photographers, which happens all the time with our work.
0: Yeah. Or you got to get out a damn magnifying glass to, to see, see the photo credit, and it's sideways on the spine. Or,
2: or, or the main part of the picture, which we had one the other day. One, a great picture and they'd put the actual focus of the picture in the spine so you actually lost the entire thing so you're right. like well, what are you doing so what, what are you looking at it was you're
1: like a snowy scene it was a it was a person
2: so there was only one person in the scene and they yeah. put the person in the scene and the rest of it was just a snowy
0: landscape so it just looked like a landscape and katie walked out of the room but uh, you know working with her on this has actually changed my photography a little bit yeah so you were so, saying yeah, and You'll notice day, yeah. yesterday we were we were on a uh, an estate here in scotland and and i remember taking the picture i would normally take and then i thought to myself mm, katie would like this image but she would want it to be a double page spread so i should probably put the subject a little further to the left and give her some blank space uh, uh, you, uh, you know yeah.
2: actually the last few shoots i've done i've been putting a lot of my focus on uh exactly the same thing as you mm-hmm. is there's that this can be used here yeah. so I've been putting stuff much further to the left yep.
0: or the right hand side typically yeah. it's the left <laughs> yeah um, and so I think that we got to find a balance right because uh, or if there was a way to take some of the editing off my plate in terms of the actual proofreading and that sort of stuff um, so we're working on ways to to make that more efficient uh, in no way do I want to become removed from the process I, th- I think that if we are going to open it up for submissions in a perfect world, there's somebody who understands my preference or my sort of standard. And when they get a story, they'd be able to to know whether or not it's something that I would be interested in and sort of screen some of those. It's and, like and a pre-filter. For a, l- them. a little yeah. bit. That would be nice um, because uh, I don't like being on the computer, you know, and I, and I prefer to if I could, Talk to everyone face to face. Great. Uh, But I do prefer to be on the phone. So we had a lot of phone calls about a lot of this stuff. Um, But because I was so involved in the process, it was it was a lot of work with that many people. So um, I think that, you know, we absolutely wanted volume two to be a clear step up from volume one. Uh, I don't know if we've... we... We we hear what you're saying, Tyler, and we'll fly out and help you.
1: <laughs>
0: for Please, a month. come <laughs> stay in Montana.
2: Yeah. Um, but that's what you're actually saying to Yes. Yeah. I, I need yeah. help, and you guys need to come over yeah. and just stay and, and with come, me. And come and hunt for, in Montana. For, for a month, and yeah. you guys can proofread some stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. and...
0: <laughs> um, so I, I think that we're going to have to find a balance because we can't just keep upping the bar massively every time. No. Right. So I think with Volume 3... What well, we've kind of decided... I, I like this size. This, this feels... feels really nice. Very nice. Balanced. And- uh, in terms of page count, you know, the 240, 250 50 pages is good. I think I would prefer to have fewer people, which isn't so much about the amount of contributors, more so as we felt like we were having to cut things short. There were so many amazing photos and, you know, we had to cut a few stories um, and we literally... Uh, we did an initial walkthrough of the layout and kind of allotted spreads to people. And we got to the end and we were like, whoa, that just went like that. We just, all 256 pages are spoken for. So we had to kind of go backwards and adjust things. And where we would initially had a lot of double page openers, we had to kind of condense some of those into mm. in, in, embedding the photos within the text. And um, And so, yeah, I think it would be good to have more room to let everybody's work breathe and, and, and let more photography, just lots more pages of just of photography. Visual, yeah, visuals, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I think you guys can agree, there's a ton in this book. There is, yeah. The but, standard of photography but, but is
2: unbelievable. In w- when you pick that up, that's the first thing everyone comments, is mm-hmm. the photography. So if you can showcase it even more, then yeah. it's surely only a good thing, and, I, without the like, we of the feel,
1: We feel incredibly privileged that our photography... Can meet the standard of the of the publication because it is so high. I don't know of another one in, in this space that has such a high standard of photography.
0: Well, thank you. And, you know, and it's super. It's it's really surreal to be sitting here holding this, and you know, some of the messages we're getting now and, and the emails from people who are interested in in you know submitting work. Uh, to think that it's only been a year, <laughs> and and you've come so far. I knew. You know, I knew that we would get there right because i i just was I had no doubt in my mind that this was the path we were on this is where we were going to get eventually um not to say that we're resting on our laurels but uh the the reception to this has been amazing and we've certainly made our our statement clear and i think people uh understand what we're we're trying to do and um and a lot of people want to help or or be a part of it and so um you know, and and one of the major wins, in my uh, in my opinion, is the fact that we have one of Chris Burkard's images on the cover of a hunting magazine. It's
1: it's amazing. It's an incredible image, and you have to really look at it to try and work out what it is that you're looking at.
0: Yeah. So for those of you who haven't actually seen the book, it's the cover is one of Chris Burkard's aerial photos of an Icelandic river. Uh, I'm sorry, a glacial river in Iceland. So if you you look on the cover, when I was initially editing this image. There's um, little white specks, and I thought, "Come on, Chris, you got dust spots on your sensor." (laughs) (laughs) I haven't actually. Let me. Yeah, and then I I I zoomed in. Those Those are little pieces of glacier that haven't quite melted yet. No way. So there's a couple little white spots on the cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I didn't notice that. The the yellow, from what I understand, is sort of the sediment and the sand that's sort of been under the glacier, and then these, you know, the bluish green is is the water uh, melting and flowing down. So Charles. Was, uh, you know, he's worked on several projects with Chris and and they're good friends. And so Charles approached him about being a guest editor. Um, And I had, you know, little expectation because Chris is obviously uh, approached by massive brands and organizations all over the world. And I um, was really surprised to hear that he was interested in being a part of it. And so, um, yeah, we've got a great interview in in here with him that Charles did uh, talking about his. Uh, you know, sort of love and appreciation for public land. Um, and then, you know, sort of the challenges that we face with it, and, and then why he feels it's important that people need to come together uh, to, to sort of make sure that, that it stays the way it is, or that things continue to improve. And uh, I believe, um, I, I don't know the current status on this, but I believe he was working with the Icelandic government on the creation of a park system and public ah, land. Okay. Um, and I think that you know, maybe that's something you guys could talk to him at some point, or or, yeah, or with sure. Charles. Um, but I think that, you know, somebody who's not only not a hunter, but kind of one of the major recognizable faces of the outdoor industry, agreed to come be a part of, of a hunting magazine because he believed that the mission was more important than, you know, the categorization. So. Now,
2: now, Tyler, I'm I'm not going to stop the podcast, but I need to redress you. Yep, because your collar. Keeps rubbing the microphone. Oh, okay. I, I don't yeah. want people yep. to, uh, yep. to to keep... Oh, oh now no, I'll just knock it, but I'll be fine. There we go, Let's undo this a little bit. Kay. There we go. I'm undressing you yeah. a lot on the podcast. There we go. Much better.
0: <laughs> I wondered about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the front
1: cover, it's not um it's, it's an environmental picture. Mm-hmm. It it's is. It's not a hunting picture, no. and yet it's a hunting the core of the publication has a hunting thread, hunting conservation, environmental thread through it. And that is really refreshing. Because yeah. how many hunting-based publications do you see that do not either have a quarry species or somebody holding a gun and hunting it?
0: Well, and I remember specifically getting, I don't know if confronted is the right word, but but somebody that I know said to me, hey, I just saw the image when, when we first uh, announced the cover I got a message that said, hey, I saw the cover image, but what does that have to do with hunting? I don't get it. And I said, well, it has nothing to do with hunting, and that's the point, because we don't want this magazine, we don't want somebody to look at this magazine and see an image on the cover that immediately makes their mind up about something, right? We don't want this magazine cover to look like any other hunting magazine with, you know, and not to say that we couldn't have an image of, you know, a hunted animal or or a rifle or something like that, but it's the 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 way that it's presented. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be something that is inviting. And that and that in the same way that I said that Aaron Kylie it allowed her to enter hunting on her own terms, we want that to be the same thing here. We want people to be able to be comfortable to enter into the conversation without feeling You know, something being pushed in their face, or well, it's intriguing. Yeah,
1: I I can very well see people who are open-minded enough to pick up something like that, putting their hand on the shelf and taking it Mm. off. But they might very, they would maybe feel uncomfortable if it's, you know, a dog with a pheasant in its mouth, which is which is very clearly aimed at one type of person. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those publications still need to exist. But what you're trying to achieve here is something different.
0: Well, and I'd also like to note that the when you open the cover. The first page in the magazine is one of y'all's photographs, and it has a quote from Yvonne Chouinard, the CEO and founder of Patagonia. Oh, it is one of our photographs. Yeah. No. You guys didn't know that. And, and it so, is. That's Joseph. Yep. Oh,
1: is it? Yep. Yep. Uh, there we go. I didn't know it was the yeah. first one. Yeah, so <laughs> you guys
0: are the opener of the book, and we have a quote in here that says, uh, and, and we actually got permission from Patagonia, so we got in touch with their uh, you know, worldwide communi- global communications director and and there was some, uh, Yvonne had been on some podcasts, I think with BHA and we were given permission to pull quotes from that. And then we sent the ones we were interested in and they gave us full approval to print them. And so it says, I don't know of any hunters that only hunt anymore. They're all snowboarders and skiers and fishermen. It's the same thing with climbers too. And it's all dependent on having wild places. So, you know, that's kind of the direction we want to move. Right. And, and it would be amazing to, to do work with Patagonia at some point. Um, yeah. Great, Brian. And, 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 and they have kind of increased their language about that. Yvonne's been very outspoken. He's been doing events with BHA. And um, so who knows? But it's certainly uh, a good sign. And, uh, and that I think that helps set the tone for the book because it's it really very does, yeah. much impor- the, the theme of this. I so. actually read that
1: quote when you handed me the book for the first time and I didn't realize that was after I go <laughs> underneath it because I, because I didn't look at the bottom. I was so busy reading mm-hmm. it. I thought it was actually an aerial photo looking down on something. Mm-hmm. And now that you pointed out to me, yeah, there's Yeah, Joseph. the bottom right corner. And
0: it's, <laughs> and it's interesting because you can see it's a very grand scale and the, the human is very small in the bottom corner of the photo. And all you can really see is it looks like a a hiking pole in his hand. Yeah. So even well, though Well it, it was it was a hiking it yeah. was um an ice axe. Yep. I so you don't it's a it's a you you were on a hunt, but in this image it's not hunting specific and that's what um I mean we we have plenty of hunting specific images in here, but we were very strategic with the balance of everything and then the order um and and Brad Christian who uh, was another guest editor of mine, and he's the brand director of Sitka. Um, He was very, very helpful towards the end. I came in with, uh, it was the first printed proof, and he looked through it, and he made some incredible suggestions on where he felt like we were missing more images of, of, you know, traditional hunting, a, a few more wildlife photos... Um, and then reordering some images that were more specific to public lands or, in, and we had quite a few horse images in this. Um, and so Brad was, it was kind of a last minute thing, but that's why we have guest editors is, yeah, is it's just sp- to help make to ad- additional it perspective that we wouldn't otherwise think about. And, um, you know, Brad has some amazing contacts, uh, w- with photographers and, and other brands and things like Very that. Very good photographer himself. Too. Yes, he is. And so he's got a piece in here too, um, and uh and so that you know that was just another another example of of everybody kind of coming together under common cause and and just trying to make this thing as as good as it could possibly be, so
1: when I flicked through the the article in New Zealand that I wrote, I was surprised but unhappy at the same time that the uh the picture of me with the tar mm-hmm. made the cut, and I wasn't sure whether it would not for any other reason than. Because of the, the kind of it, it was imagery actually, it, that you have. It was actually a tricky picture to edit. Oh, it was so dark. Yeah. It was so dark. Yeah. And I saw that. I like, yeah, it really works. But I just, I kind of, although we submitted it, I didn't really expect it to make the cut. But obviously, that's your job yeah. to, to try and pick what you think tells the story.
0: And I got to give credit to Brad there. And, and while he didn't specifically say, you need to use this picture, this is why I came back and put this picture in, because of what he said. He said, I, I feel like we need to have a few more images of animals that were that were taken. Um, and, of course, almost all of them that were submitted were in a respectful way. But mm-hmm. so I kind of went back through. And um, and to be honest, there's not a ton of images or, or not a lot of the stories in this book are focused on a specific hunt. Mm. Your, Even that one right. only kind of mentions it. In passing, it mentions yeah. it in context of the larger issue. Um, and so this was, uh, of the entire book, this was the one that made the most relevance. And, and thankfully that there were images that, you know, did what he was hoping to, to, to come. Uh, and I don't
1: even have a rifle in that either. I've got an ice Yeah axe. you do. <laughs> um, Just to make it clear, he didn't kill it. with an no, yeah. didn't. Yeah,
0: that's uh but it, it was an amazing story uh, about the plight of the Himalayan in New Zealand. And um, yeah, I, I think that um, it's a, it's a great image and I'm glad that we went back and had it in because otherwise it wouldn't have even shown the animal No, i think people not a lot of people know what a tar is no true so i'm also the the picture that was
1: taken in the car made the cup yeah Yeah. i i I love that picture but it was taken through the windscreen of a car
0: yeah well that's katie's no longer here she can talk more about that but it's interesting our process too she and this wasn't planned but just she's coming back in come on in um I guess you can edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we're just gonna leave it in. Uh, so I think that it's interesting when we do this that she has an awareness of the themes because I've been talking about them for months and
1: she's driving her nuts probably s-
0: taking phone calls in the car about them. And so she has an idea, but she hadn't read through all the stories before she did the layout. So in this situation, I give her a, a Dropbox folder, you know, of images of selects and I remember her giving me crap about it. She's like 25 images is not selects. I was like, I need to give you some variety to choose from. But anyway, so I I let her go through uh, unbridled and pick the images that she likes from a design perspective. And then I kind of go through and do a review and say, okay, well, you know, because this story specifically mentions this or that, I think we need to sub this one for, for this image. But for the most part, I, I would say that, 75 to 85% of this book, she just went through and picked everything without my input. And then I went in and, and sort of rearranged some things according to the to the subject and theme. Um, but she loved your, your car picture. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> cool. That she's shaking her head yeah. up and down. Are you able to tell us what Volume 3 is going to be about?
0: I think so. Okay. Yeah, good. Uh, I mean,
1: obviously, we, we know because we've been talking about it. I wasn't yeah. sure if it was public information. So. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's going to be about wildlife management. Which is a pretty broad topic, but um, this was something that Simon and I. Uh, so I'm just going to press pause on you yep. for a second because you've mentioned
1: Simon before. Mm-hmm. Simon Roosevelt, grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know. Or is he descendant? Of, yeah, related, I don't know if he's
0: great great grandson or, but he's descendant from the Teddy, Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, sorry. Just and, for context, um, he's so. the only, from what I understand, he's the only Roosevelt since T. R. Who has sort of taken up the hunting and conservation banner, mm-hmm. um, and he isn't, you know he's kind of a behind the scenes person, but he has a a lot of input into uh, conservation and and wildlife and, and ethics. Uh, Amazing person to in have. the United States, yeah. Um, and so he was in Texas back in the spring, and we had visited this. Um, it's called Fossil Rim, and uh, it's an area where they they have they call them I think it's species insurance breeding programs where they you know breed you know, fringiered oryx and and different species that have lost their native range or are threatened in other parts of the world. So they breed these and they reintroduce them. And we were just discussing that. Um, And then especially in Texas, there's a massive wild hog problem, right? And that's a wildlife management situation where it affects hunters and they cause millions of dollars of damage to farms in Texas every year. So it's such a broad topic, whether it's hunting related or it's zoology related or specifically in Africa, conflict between wildlife and native villagers, right, so it's such a broad topic, but it allows us to discuss some very controversial stuff, and, uh, you know, I mean, elephant conflict, grizzly bears, wolves, um, I mean, here in the UK, you know, you've got all your your own topics you want to talk about, so that's what volume three is slated for, which is part of why I was here, um, and, you know, we don't know if you want to talk about that yeah now. we can yeah.
1: talk about it. so I mean, you can give a, an insight into one of the articles that you're going to be sure. doing which is what we were up yeah. in the rain and miserable mist yesterday yeah
0: <laughs> i mean i'd like to say that's the only reason i came to scotland but you can not... see where you were hunting the glen is yeah just, just up there yeah. yeah well in the mist certainly sure. um obviously i just wanted to spend more time here and Get Have a couple, of, get, a couple of days off as well. Get myself a proper tweed hunting hat, which I managed to do. <laughs> which you're sporting, right? I now. am, yeah. yeah, even though the headphones don't really fit over it. <laughs> <laughs> Looks are important. Yeah, well... <laughs> Who knows? Somebody could be doing an Instagram story. KDN. Yep. Yeah. And I just uh, last time I was here, we were on the Glen Ogle Estate, yep. and I got to see some of the red grouse management, which was super fascinating to me. The amount of work that goes into improving the habitat for this one bird, um, but especially evidenced by y- you know you guys talking about how the the Heather Moorland is rarer than the rainforest. That there's less Heather Moorland left than there is rainforest. Yep. But people. And most of us here. Love the rainforest, yeah. but don't necessarily know as much about, you know, the Moorland here, the Moorland management.
2: There's no, there's no monkeys, that's
0: why. <laughs> <laughs> uh No charismatic megafauna, I believe that's what you're <laughs> yeah. looking for. So. Wh- whose phrase is that's that? That's Charles. That's Charles, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could have guessed. Yeah. So, um,. And for me, you know, there's something so sort of mystical and majestic about the red stag, right? And you always... The monarch of Yeah, the and, and we have some of y'all's photos in here of, of the traditional, you know, ponies on the hill with the stag and the mist and the tweeds. And I said, I need to see what this is all about. And at the same time, realized how much of a sort of a hot topic it is in your country with, uh, you know, the amount of work that these gamekeepers, you know exhibit and, and go through to manage these deer populations and it's also relevant to this current issue of, of public versus private land because these are private estates but they spend a lot of money to do this and a lot of times are operate at a loss and so yesterday I was able to actually kind of experience this for myself and, and we spoke with one of the young gamekeepers there who who knew he was so award-winning? Yeah, but yeah. He's, he, he
1: didn't. He didn't mention. I had told you. I'd given you the heads up, and then we did the interview with him, and he never mentioned it. And I had to pick him up because he was too modest to talk he, about it. Yeah,
0: he had won four or five awards as a young gamekeeper in Scotland, and uh, I think it was really, really interesting to to see what his job entails and, and the amount of effort they go through to uh, to ensure the health of this of this herd. And and it's. I think what was really interesting to me was that. Uh, a lot of people associate these, they see the photos from this and they say, oh, that looks, you know, only for the rich and famous kind of thing and it's this big trophy hunt. But at the end of the day, they their main focus and their only interest in that whole operation is to protect the well-being of the herd. And so every decision they make is not about what the client wants or how much money they may or may not have paid. It's about their personal decision on the well-being of the ecosystem and the individual animal.
1: And that's how they're selecting the it.
0: Absolutely. And I think that was really, really interesting to hear about. Um, yeah, and-
1: Callum was saying to you that you, as a client, you can't phone up and say, I want to shoot a, a trophy 12-point or 14-point stack yeah. because they'll just say to you... Hey, sorry sorry we don't we don't do that here go to new zealand <laughs> maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, That that is not what we do you may very well shoot something like mm. that but when we go up on the hill uh and you're going to read about this in, in Tyler's article i'm sure because Callum went into quite a, a lot of detail about how what their selection process is and how it works uh but that is not their focus yeah. their, their focus is not how big is the rack that we can stick on the wall it is can we find the right animal yeah. for the well-being and longevity of the herd? Mm-hmm. And that's about body size and survival through winters, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's quite brilliant, actually, because basically they're, you know, in a comedic way, it's, it's they're getting, you know, clients to pay to do their job, in a yeah. sense, which is... But you're... So when you're paying to go on one of these hunts, you're paying for the privilege to be part of the history of this... You know, operation and the management of this species, mm. which and and something that was really interesting to me is that the government doesn't really do population censuses in the way that the U.S. government would, you know, do surveys and say, OK, there's this many animals and then they issue this number of permits or tags that it's the responsibility of, of the gamekeepers to to, manage, or, you know, to sort of survey the herds and, and how many there are. And then from that, they sort of base a percentage of the take on that. Exactly. So not only are they the guide, but they're also sort of the wildlife researcher as well. So whereas there's a disconnect in the United States, um, you know, some guides may not have access to that information. But if you've got your tag, you know that you're legal. You can go out and you can hunt. Because someone else has done it for you. Right. Yeah. So in this case, they're actually much more... Uh, invested and aware of the current state of that, you know, herd of animals, which I think is really honorable.
1: And many of them, not, not all the, the keepers do it because some of them are uh, at different stages in the training for it. But increasingly, as we go forward into the future, the vast majority of stalkers in those upland areas will be doing the habitat assessment plots themselves. We're just in the process of helping with the revamp of the film for the training of it. Mm. So they will have 30, 40 plots around the the estate, where, which they have to monitor every year. And there's a, a very regimented system, uh, ecological system for working out browsing pressure uh, to help determine whether they're getting it right. Um, yeah. They are involved in that. that it's yeah. not outside people coming in to do it, although that does happen to check it they're involved in it on the ground and they're being trained to do it
0: yeah well and then it was it was interesting to hear about the grouse as well and how they're so tuned in to the breeding success of the grouse and they you know callum was telling us about how there was a a hard winter and the and the grouse chicks didn't do very well and so the numbers were down and so they you know didn't do as many hunts and and you know specifically and that's a a tough decision for them because it's financially that's yeah. bringing in far less money but the health and success of the grass population is more important than that and that's where the private ownership um I feel like should be commended because they're making a decision that's immediately affecting the amount of money coming in and they're going to take that loss because they're stewards of of this land and and of that wildlife
1: and it's a long it's the long-term yeah survival that they're interested in mhm so uh your hunt yesterday? Tell me about it. You enjoy it? I did. Yeah. Because was... we weren't expecting. Actually, no. when I arranged this, I wasn't expecting for us to actually be able to to hunt. But I would arranged for us to go up, and so that you could speak to the keepers, do sure. the interviews, take the pictures, and then the night before, I was just firming up the times. And uh, the the head keeper Gary very kindly said, "You guys want to hunt?" I said, "Well, I don't need to, but I'm sure Tyler won't object. Yeah. So I'll bring a rifle."
0: <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I I didn't expect it either um and in fact when did you tip everyone when you were there (laughs) (laughs) i smiled and waved to everyone um so yeah i mean when you first told me i was like yeah i'd love to but i just i you know i really need to make sure i get good photos and then we got there and i saw the area we were in i was like okay this is not gonna be a problem to get good (laughs) photos and uh I think that I might be a little spoiled because I, from what I gather, our stocking experience was was rather.
1: It was a lot quicker than it can be. Yeah, we
0: just got lucky. They were low down, probably because of the weather. They yeah, were quite low down on the hill. Yeah, so you know, we stalked up through. You know, this, I don't even know what what that is. I mean, it felt like a bog, but <laughs> that's basically
1: that's most just, of Scotland. That's just at the time our hill. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, these it, amazing waterfalls and and rocks with moss and and all these colorful, uh, you know purples and greens and, and beautiful colors um, and it was raining the entire time very misty and foggy um, so you couldn't really see the tops of the mountains and uh, you know we stocked up we probably it took 30 45 minutes um, but it, it, it's cool because the tradition of the Scottish stalking is that you know the guide per se is is sort of the gatekeeper and so he you crawl right behind him yeah. and he kind of makes all the decisions and
1: he he had that discussion with you before we yes. started didn't yeah. he yeah
0: and um and so we crawled up to this rock and and basically at this point um they're managing the herd so they've determined that they needed to take what did he say 500
1: uh, for yeah for the entire state for the, for the entire males, state for females, yeah.
0: they needed to to a 100 stags so 100 males and 500 females, and so, in between all the gamekeepers on the estate, they all have sort of a, an, an allotment. Yeah, that they're, beats. they're responsible mm-hmm. for uh, a, s- a specific, you know, area of land, and in that area, they have to make sure that they reach these numbers, so that areas don't get overgrazed, or that you know, sickness and 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 um, and, and weakness don't move in, and all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of what this hunt was about was helping them do their job. And so for me to get to experience this and do this, um, you know, so we stalked up on, on a hind on a female, and I think I was about 180 yards away. And, um, I was really nervous. Just, I've never gotten to do it before. And anyways, um, made a good shot and, you know, thankfully uh, she didn't run very far. Um, but because of the mist and the fog, it took us a while to find her. Um, but it was it was pretty amazing to walk up and he wasn't wearing his tweeds because he didn't know that we were doing a fancy photo shoot yeah. normally they would be wearing their yeah. state he had tweeds. his tweed hat on for that yeah would be, it was also a really miserable re- and i don't know if tweeds are fully waterproof Not really. They eventually yeah. Soaked through. so through. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh but just to have him with his cap on and, and what what is that stick called a crook a crook yeah he had his crook and and the you know the gun slung over his back and it was such a surreal moment because I've seen so many photos of that and to know that that was, I was there doing that and I was trying to experience it and take it in, but at the same time, like this just looks too amazing. It's
1: hard when you're, you you kind of feel like you, because you did, you had a job to do because you're trying to capture it to appreciate it at the same mm. time I actually wrote a paragraph about that at the start mm. of one of the articles in this issue yeah. it's, sometimes it is really hard just to appreciate the experience for what it is when you're trying yeah. to capture pictures But
0: and so you know we uh, sort of walked up and um, I know it's tradition in Scotland that for the, the first red stag that you're you, you, you are blooded where you the blood is put yeah. on your face. And he kind of had this smile on his face and he looked over at Byron and he goes, what kind of blooding should he get? And <laughs> Byron was like, make sure it's a gentleman's blooding. And so I, I, I believe they took it easy on me. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it, it was pretty cool to see. Uh, and then, you know, obviously they had the traditional pony there. So we, we took the, um, the deer off the hill on the, on the back of the the pony on the saddle um, and then we took it back to, you know, the, the larder or, you know, sort of the chiller, yeah the meat storage and waited and, and they log it into their book and we tagged it. And while we were hoping to take it home to eat for Thanksgiving, um, we're going to go back today and, and pick it up. So, you know, Byron and Daryl will have it for. Uh, for their friends and family, and then you were also picking one up for for another friend for yeah. another friend. So which we selected. And, yeah, yeah, this all sort of goes into uh, the food chain, and, and various people can just sort of purchase that in the same way you'd purchase it from a butcher. Um, so it's kind a of a little bit more work involved. Sure, full full yeah. circle, uh, full circle. But yeah, it was really it was really an honor to participate in that, and uh, the photos I got are it's going to be really hard to hold on to these photos until the <laughs> the next your shortlist to Katie is going to be like 50 this oh, time. Man. Now, now we, um, we put up a
2: picture uh, a few weeks ago now on Instagram and it was actually of one of the gamekeepers on that estate um, wearing their tweed and we were basically saying, you know, this is what, what they wear traditionally here. And we had someone from your your country, United States of America, saying, why do you wear that stupid getup? <laughs> and someone else from here said, uh, you realise tweed is the original camouflage. That's yeah. what it is. Now you've been here, you can... Uh, obviously, Callum wasn't wearing a full tweed, but you had tweed caps on. But his tweed cap would have been the estate's tweed. Yeah. It was, yeah. So you can probably appreciate how it actually does match the environment that it's in. Well,
0: but It's even,
1: funny that you bring it up because you weren't there yesterday uh, and I mentioned that when we were on the hill.
0: Yeah, So, but the jacket he was wearing was a greenish color that literally was the exact color of the surrounding landscape. And so, yeah, I, I see how... Uh, and, and then how I was wearing a green that was a little bit darker and how that wouldn't necessarily... It would stick out, which is interesting um, that it's all... Natural earth tones, and um, it, no one wears like proper c-
2: camouflage as such. It's, it would it's, stick it's, out because me, when we and Byron go out, it's normally kind of like these kind of solid color mm-hmm. blocks, but it's the same color as the terrain.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, yeah, I mean, I i wear lots of wool and tweed, anyways, uh, which I don't know, never worked in Texas because it was too hot. Now that we <laughs> live in Montana, it's, it's much easier to wear. Um, but no, that that was something for me to see it in action that it, it has application and uh, and then someone else I was speaking to in England recently someone had asked him a similar question about why why did people start dressing all fancy for these shoots and he said that you know he had heard that in 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 the origination of it that. That was a way to show respect to the landowner. If they were allowing you to hunt on their estate, that you would dress smart a case, yeah. to, as a, a sign of respect to the landowner. So they would show up to these shoots, you know, wearing nice clothes uh, as a sign of respect to the person who's allowed them access to the ground. Uh, which I think was kind of cool. Mm. But um, but no, big fan of tweed. And uh, I mean,
1: the, the granite. There's so much granite up there that mm-hmm. the gray of that particular tweed, the uh, the Dalhousie Invermark tweed. Mm-hmm. When he put his hat down on the, because mm-hmm. you shot off his hat, yep, it was just blended perfectly into the granite yep. stone.
0: Yep, I thought that was a pretty, pretty cool photo of you know, him sitting there with his tweed hat protecting your rifle yeah. from getting scratched, but it all kind of blended in. It was could not have been more Scottish. He's a proper
1: gent. He Even asked, he said, "Do you mind if we shoot you <laughs> shoot?" Because I took my nice rifle yeah. with the wooden mm-hmm. stock. Do you mind if we shoot the rifle, off the, off the rock? But I'll put my hat down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even check. But you know that—that's. I mean, that's how stalkers are here. Sure. You know that's their their job. As he was explaining to you, it is to help the person who is who's coming to enjoy the day, enjoy it to the maximum potential that they can, and and help them in their job. Yeah. And uh, you really do get that feeling. You know, they're all a great bunch of guys up there. I wanted to ask you about the uh, just rewind on the the blooding. Because I've been picked up for this before um, by people, even like my cousin who who does actually hunt, and we've had discussions about the process of of blooding, which is done in many countries around the world to a greater or lesser extent, and whether that was or is disrespectful in any way. What's your kind of take on it?
0: I don't. I mean, I've I've seen it before, you know, in other places too, and and that's not the first time that that's happened, but. In this context, I think that um, it's a tradition, right? And whether or not, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it's important for people to have respect for other traditions, whether they're a part of them or not, right? And and it's all based on where, where's the scale there, because there's some practices uh, in you know maybe South American cultures that might seem barbaric or you know, even violent, right? And, and African tribes too, you know, somehow some of these young boys, when they hold them down and it's, they're, you know, circumcised in front of their entire village while they're screaming and that kind of thing. It's kind of intense, right?
1: Different end of the scale.
0: Right. But that's part of their culture and that's part of their tradition. Um, and it, it means something symbolically to them. And in the same way, this is representing uh, you know, a, a symbolic sort of—I don't know if that's so a end, right, of, end of the end, end of the, of the hunt. hunt, rite of passage, whatever you want to call it. And so uh, again, but it's
1: not—I dis- don't see it as disrespectful. No, in no, any no, way It's not disrespectful to the animal that, that's died. It is—it is actually done as a mark of respect.
0: Well, and if anything, it it makes you st- take a little more ownership of what has just happened. I mean, you—you know—the term "you have blood on your hands." Well, in this case, I had blood on my face and. Uh, you know, I certainly would take responsibility for that anyways, but I think that it's, you know, an interesting symbolism there. And um, I could see in the same way that people get upset by trophy photos or, or grip and grins they see online that are out of context. I think that someone seeing a photo out of context, they I could see how they might be offended by that. Mm-hmm. But that also might just be an individual case of, of someone being closed-minded versus wanting to understand why that's there Hmm. right so to me it would be important for someone to at least want to understand right why how did you get to that right and then if and if at that point they then decide okay well i understand why you did that and i'm i still disagree with it fine right Mm -hmm. we all have the the right to disagree but how far do you need to take that right Mm -hmm. i mean just because you disagree with something uh it's I don't know. Yeah,
1: it's it's a difficult one to answer. I wasn't expecting a perfectly neat bow tied up sure. a, a answer to it because I don't even think I, even though I've thought about it, I don't think mm. I can necessarily answer it myself. But it is a, uh, I'd say it's part of the celebration of doing a hunt successfully for somebody the first time of that species, which is is part of the, the tradition and heritage here and is no way intended to be um, disrespectful to the animals that you've hunted. It, it, quite the opposite, in fact. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think that th- there's probably a spectrum of how you can do it, but I think, you know, it was done very tastefully.
0: I agree. And because I asked him to be a gentleman about it. Yeah. <laughs> and we got a great photo. Yeah, we do. Of, yeah. of you and I on the hill, uh, which we we both turned into Thanksgiving posts. Yes. Uh, we decided to have a Scottish Thanksgiving this year.
1: And we thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a we great sure evening. Did.
0: Yeah, it was. it was. It was a lot some of food. fantastic
1: recipes from Katie.
0: It was. And it was funny because um you know your your parents were asking, "Well, what, well, you know, what is Thanksgiving all about? You guys need to teach us about this." And we had to kind of think about that for ourselves. And well, we know what the origin of the holiday was, but it's watching football. At the end of the day, <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, it's about eating a bunch of food and just being around people that you enjoy company with. So, yeah. we certainly did that. And uh, and it was you know this would normally be sort of a Christmas meal for you guys yeah and, yeah it would be yeah. and I think I think it was you who said it at some point you're like oh I feel I, this is how I feel after a Christmas meal I'm like no, that's, it was exactly last that's night pretty much like, it
1: I don't want to do anything I just we were, feel I just feel like a slob now <laughs> we were all
0: slouching on the couch you know, drinking dessert wine and enjoying the fire and uh, everyone just sort of dozed off to sleep which is what it's supposed to be so
1: you're gonna be at. Shows in the coming months for or if people are there, might they be mm. able to bump into you?
0: I hope so. I'm at, I'll be at Dallas Safari Club for sure. I'm not sure about SCI. I will be at Shot Show as well. Okay. So those are the only two I I know for Sold. sure. Um Any but shows in the UK? Maybe Come me here uh I don't know about the UK, but I think I'll probably be at IWA in Germany. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't have current plans. Um But hopefully, we'll be hosting. Uh, are you, you gonna
2: Airbnb it with us if you're coming to IWA? Probably. That's a good plan. Actually. That's that was a good sense. plan. I think if you're coming, it would make sense if yeah, we all stay together. I agree. Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, and then hopefully we're hosting you guys in the United States pretty soon. Yeah, we got yeah. to get to the epicenter, we, we, which we is Bozeman, there. Montana. Yeah,
2: and we've got to be there for a l- period of time, mm-hmm. as long as we're allowed in the country. We'll
0: stay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask Trump uh, nicely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we could have quite the lineup of of podcast subjects for you in Bozeman, uh, Montana. We're excited about coming yeah. down. So, and
2: you are going to experience rugby in Scotland for the first time.
0: Yeah, tomorrow we're going to the Scotland Argentina game, which will be twenty four hours from now. We're going to be in, in the stadium in Edinburgh. I'm really excited about. Normally, normally Katie and I would be watching, you know, American football, but this time we'll be watching. Now you're going to watch
1: a real sport. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Excellent. Well, Tyler, it's been awesome to have you on again. It's been great to host you the last couple of days. I'm looking forward. We're going to go and hopefully go and shoot for a couple of hours, yeah. um, just sort of a rough kick around, see if there's anything that we can flush up and add to our our list of game in the freezer, and hopefully get Katie her first shot, which Absolutely. would be excellent. And then when we come back, we're going to be doing an interview with a far more important person to do with the publication, the which r- is the designer herself, the real
0: talent behind Modern Huntsman. Yeah. yeah.
1: Thanks very much, and uh, we hope to speak to you again on the podcast soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. Join us again
2: in two weeks' time. Yeah, I don't think there will be another show in between now unless... We've done quite a few extra shows recently, but uh, Um, I think
1: it'll be a two-week break and then we will be uh, we're going to be having a short break between christmas and new year because we know everybody's normally filling their bellies and busy doing other things. yeah people that have time time to listen to us but on the next show we'll we'll tell you when the last podcast is going out for 2018 and when you can expect the first podcast ready for your commute back to the job that you love in early january yep lots of exciting
2: things happening in the new year we've got lots of plans hopefully with the podcast and everything else going into the future don't forget to leave us a review, please. Even if you don't even want to leave us a review on iTunes, on the, the Apple app, all you need to do is, on the show, scroll down to the bottom, and there is a little thing with stars in it, and tap the five
1: star. Even if you don't want to type anything, just give us give it a rating. Because it makes a big difference for people finding it and being recommended.
2: It does indeed. So, yeah, do that for us. And also, you can also leave a review on Facebook and any of the other apps. I think you can also leave reviews. on. You can't leave reviews on Spotify, but that's okay.
1: I wonder if they'll change that for podcasts.
2: I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think just the more people that listen to it, the higher up its rankings it goes. Uh, Don't forget you can find out all information you need about us and also our shop on www.thepacebrothers.com Find us on Instagram, pace underscore brothers And if you are listening to the show for the first time and you're still finding your feet on the best way to listen to the show It's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, uh, it's also on Spotify, TuneIn Radio And more recently it is on the Amazon Alexa app So all you need to say is Alexa, play the Pace brothers into the wilderness podcast and it should just say playing from tune in radio and then
1: start playing in theory pretty awesome that. yeah that is pretty awesome we love to hear from you we've had a lot of contact from listeners off the back of the fish farming podcast it's, yes it's really animated people uh, we've had i've had one book sent to me uh, that was written so on thank, the subject thank you So thank that. you very much uh to the chap who, who sent the book and more emails than I I can count people really really engaged by the subject and actually asking us to cover more podcasts on topics like that so we'll be bringing that in the new year